Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Well, good morning again. This is Judge Jim Gray. Wherever you are in our great country or actually still around the world, uh, we are here together for our family with the Voice America Variety Channel. And as always, I'm excited to be with you. We have another edition of All Rise, the idea being that if we employ libertarian values, libertarian approaches, that we will all rise together. And we have a guest that's doing just that today. His name is Jeff Hewitt, H-E-W-I-T-T, who is a recently elected a libertarian uh, member of the Board of Supervisors in Riverside County. So we're going to talk about how the libertarian approaches are actually boots on the ground working. Uh, we've, we've always said that if you would just allow more limited government obviously less expensive, less intrusive government. It would allow more people to thrive, to be able to, to progress in their own way. And we're going to uh, address that basically right now. Uh, Jeff Hewitt is a former mayor of Calamesa in California. Uh, he's a businessman. He has uh, run for the Board of Supervisors, like I said, uh, came in a close second in the primary and then leaped ahead uh, with a win in, uh, in last November's election. So, Jeff, good morning. Thank you for being with us. And just tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, wh who is Jeff Hewitt? Hey, good morning, Judge. And again, thank you so much for allowing me to be on your show. Um, just a little bit about me is, uh, you know, basically I'm an, a California native, uh, born here in Redlands, California. Um, I'm 66 years old. I, I love this state. You know, and, and a lot of the reasons why I love it is because growing up I had so much opportunity to have adventure, um, and go off to college, start my own business. You know, all the things that this country's always stood for. So, you know, I, I got out of high school and I went to San Diego State. And, and down there, what I did was I took, uh, took an opportunity. My father had bought a Bobcat skid steer uh, loader when I was 16 years old to actually to dig out all the floodwaters from the thousand year flood of 1969 that had totally uh, flooded our five acre piece here in Calamesa. And, and I, uh, I took that Bobcat with me and I figured out a way to, to pay my way through college down there by uh, becoming the first one to incorporate skid steer loaders in uh, digging, digging swimming pools. And that was, that was a niche that hadn't been uh, filled yet, and uh, I took advantage of it. And it, is, it served me well for a good portion of my life. It always gave me a way to make some money and uh, put some uh, food on the plate for my, my family, my ever-growing family. <laughs> Jeff, you are, and I've said this privately to you, and I'll say it publicly as much as I can, you are living the American dream. What you just said is just inspirational. Uh, you are 
down down into the to life itself. You see an opportunity and you go for it. And you are giving those opportunities now, I think, to the citizens of Riverside County. So so thank you and good for you. And by the way, it's my understanding that your candidacy was endorsed by uh, the Howard Jarvis Association, which is pretty rare, isn't it? Yeah, it, uh, the, the Howard Jarvis uh, Taxpayers Association, which, of course, is just has been a real, real pillar of standing up against complete inanity in this state uh, ever since they, they got going back in the 70s. They, um, they usually go ahead and they will endorse uh, Republican state legislators and uh, possibly uh, some, some statewide offices, but it's very rare that they've endorsed a libertarian, and especially on what's considered a local office. Even though, even though the office that I hold is, uh, has a lot more, uh, influence over a lot more people than, than, than most what you would call state legislative offices, it is still considered a local office when you say, uh, municipalities and counties and such like that. Um, so it was, it was, they were going out on a little bit of a limb and saying, okay, you know, he's not a Republican, but boy, he, he stands for the things that we hold dear. And, uh, and by golly, that's, let's go ahead and endorse him, even against a, a Republican who they had endorsed when he was back in, in the assembly. So that was, that was quite a, uh, quite a coup with that. And I, I really appreciated their help. We, we put that on door hangers and flyers. And, and that endorsement alone got us quite a bit of support. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm going to brag to you for a moment that I did run for U.S. Senate as a libertarian back in 2004, and I was endorsed by the Long Beach Press-Telegram, and I was always always pleased with that. They're my favorite periodical, actually. Um, but you are were part of the debates, I believe. Were there debates in your election, and what difference did it make to be a part of it? Okay, so uh, I, I don't believe we actually had any formal debates. Usually at this level, they like to do it on, on a, a forum, uh, you know, whereas the, the, the difference between a debate and a forum is generally debates are a little bit more confrontational where you're throwing something out there, the moderator will throw something out there, and they want this back-and-forth engagement, um, sometimes leading to mudslinging or whatever between uh, the different uh, uh, candidates. But, but a forum, in some ways, is better, because what happens with a forum, there'll be these, uh, sometimes you know what the questions are going to be, they'll be prearranged, sometimes you don't, and they will ask each one of the uh, candidates the same question, and the candidates give their answers to that. And then there are, uh, usually at the end of the forum, there will be uh, questions for the audience. So, and you still have a time to do your, you know, introduction and then a closing statement. So, I, I probably, I think during that campaign, I was in at least five or six uh, forums. When I was running for uh, vice president, Jeff, as you know, uh, they have the commission on, or so-called commission on presidential debates, and that's key. If you're not in those debates running for president, you're not considered to be viable, and you just don't get any traction. Uh, can you right. imagine what your campaign would have been had you as a libertarian not been included in those forums? Yeah, well, um, these, although in, in, this, in this race, and it is quite a bit different than running uh, a national campaign for president and vice president, um, I think I still could easily have won, 
they they were on my race. The forums tended to be more of a for specific areas when we go into some you know uh, gated areas uh, where they were throwing something. It would be different groups that would throw them, but they they weren't televised, uh, so there it didn't reach as many people. But at the end of the day, um, they didn't have as big an effect on a, on a race like this as say the ground game or um, direct mailers, you see. Uh, okay. th- those two things are, if, if, you, if you run a good campaign with those two parts of the, uh, of the race, then you have a very good chance of winning. So you are now an elected member of the Board of Supervisors of Riverside County. What does that mean for people that may don't, not live in California? Uh, what is it to be on the Board of Supervisors? What do they do for the county or to it sometimes? Okay. Okay, so so of all the different levels of government, most people's most direct level is uh, their their city council, their town council, uh, their school board, their their water board. Those are usually the the, the, the lowest elected. Um, when I say lowest, I mean the smallest group that you have to go ahead and uh, try to get to vote for you or whatever. But but those also directly affect people's lives quite a bit. So for eight years, I was on a city council, the city council of Calmesa, and the last three of those years, I was their mayor. However, um, the next level up is a county. Now, in California, we have 58 counties, and all of them are... By, you know, state law, they have to have five supervisors. We don't call them commissioners. We call them supervisors here. And regardless of the county size, where we have the largest county in the United States, L.A. County, with 10 million people, and we have a very small county up in Northern California, Alpine County, with only 1,200 people. But all of those, with the exclusion of San Francisco, and you would guess it would be San Francisco because the city is the same as the county, so they have like nine or 11 uh, supervisors. However, everybody else has five. And so if you're going to run for, uh, you know, county supervisor in L.A. County, it's going to cost you a lot more than it does to run for Congress or something because you've got two million in your district. You're, you've got to go ahead and win an election with uh, two million people in it. So if, if you're going to run up in Alpine County and say you're a Mormon family with 10 kids, got a really good chance of winning that seat without going outside the family, you know, by the time you, so, so we have big counties and we have small counties in, in sure. California and, and the, the counties still, okay, they do so much, everything that the, the state wants to implement, they do it through the county. The counties are actually like the arms of the state that brings it down more locally and if you're talking about Department of Public Social Services that has child protective services in it or, um, you know, the elder services, all those different services, you have different entitlements uh, like, uh, you know, f- food stamps. All those are, are, are carried out by the counties. Your, your public safety with, with sheriffs, uh, fire, probation, public defenders, the D.A., it goes on and on and on. Flood control, solid waste management, uh, economic development. In my county, which is the fourth largest county in, uh, in, in California and the tenth largest county in the United States with two and a half million people in it, it, it actually um, it, it has 44 different departments in it. 
and it has 23,000 employees with a $6.6 billion annual budget. So it, as, as a county, it, it has numbers that are larger than 15 or 16 of the 50 states in our, in our nation. So it, you know, you can call it local, but it's, but it's big time government is what it is. Well, it is, Jeff, and you mentioned a whole lot of tasks that you have to undertake, basically just living, just picking up the trash and getting the schools and the rest of that. But you said how large your government is in Riverside County. Is, does it need to be that large? I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge no, no, effort. And, 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 and that's the easiest question you're going to ask me because, yeah, the, the answer is a resounding no. Um, most of the government in our United States is is probably too big and too cumbersome to, to even to even do the things that so many of the constituents agree on that they say, hey, I want government to do. And and as libertarians, Judge, you and I might say, well, you know, we can do that probably better through the private sector. But but there are a lot of things that just people don't mind paying a little bit extra to have you know a, a third party or an objective party um, to do it. And, and, and that's fine. I mean, I can live with that. I'm, I'm not out there to crush all government and say, hey, look, you know, you're evil and you're holding us back. But we are so big. I mean, we have so many. We, this county government uh, could, could probably take care of most all the things that they do with uh, one-third less people uh, working for it. And, and, and I mean, those are just kind of common sense things that we go down through there and look at and say, you know, we can do efficiencies here. We can, we've got redundant uh, departments here back and forth, uh, just right off the top of it. So there's, there's a lot of work to be done. And when you throw a small government libertarian into a position like this, um, at first it's a little bit overwhelming. You know, you say, oh, I want to go change that, 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 and that. And then you realize that you're one of five um, people that will have to come together and, and set the direction and make decisions uh, regarding this, this huge uh, bureaucratic uh, machine and, and, and try to deliver, you know, to your constituents something that uh, they can say, hey, wow, you know, we're, we're getting some return on, on the money that you're taking from us, <laughs> you know, whether, well, I was, whether we're giving I, it voluntarily or not. <laughs> sure. Well, Jeff, I was, of course, part of that bureaucracy for 25 years sitting as a judge. Uh, and exactly. I, I, you just see so much of the paper pushing. Just we in the court system had numbers and numbers of people that were simply providing information to Sacramento. Then there were numbers of people in Sacramento that were saying, oh, you didn't do this quite right. And just pushing stuff back and forth did not help me try my cases whatsoever. It was just, it was just a whole lot of bureaucracy. I'm sure you see it as well. But from my experience in government there, I think that people in public government are the privileged class in our, in our world today, that we have those unions, which uh, they, they get wonderful pensions. They, I don't think, candidly, and it's maybe a little hypocritical for me because I have a government pension, but I don't think that the government should be in the pension business whatsoever. It should be the same 401k uh, program that, that uh, people do in the private sector. Is there any hope that we can pair this back? Uh, I know you single-handedly, of course, can't do it, but you sure can raise the alarm. But is there anything that we can do to, to reduce the size, the intrusion, the bureaucracy of government? Okay, so 
So, so yeah, and everything you just said right there is 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 absolutely true. And and the origins of these unsustainable uh, defined benefit pensions, of which I believe you you might be, even be on CalPERS yourself, uh, Judge. I don't I am. know if, if you. Yes, I am. Yeah, and and so CalPERS being the largest one. Now that doesn't mean that it is the only defined benefit pension. There's uh, actually Riverside County is the second largest employer in incorporating CalPERS after the state because the three larger counties in California all incorporate their own um, uh, defined benefit pension, which is similar to CalPERS, but it's not the same, you know. And so what's happened is I believe at some time, you know, when the economy was doing great and the private sector was thriving a few few decades ago or whatever, it was a little bit more difficult to get people to come in and do some of these government jobs that they thought, you know, had you, you wanted to get, everybody says we want to get the cream of the crop, we want to get the best, whatever. And, and they use those pensions as uh, something to attract, you know, the supposedly get better people if you offer these millionaire pensions to people. And they were sold a can of goods. I mean, I, I think Bernie Madoff might have been involved. Who knows? I mean, he was out there and... And, and they were saying, look, we can go ahead and give these great, great defined benefit pensions, which means you're guaranteed this result. If you work here for so many years and get, you know, entitled to this, if you're, you know, actually one of the people that uh, now you're guaranteed, you know, a and, and in a lot of cases, it's a six figure pension until you die, period. It's guaranteed. And and they said, look, the. uh the the, the um, Silicon Valley is just taken off. Tech uh, stocks are great. Uh, the stock we are going to be able to invest in this stuff, and we are we're going to have to put very little of taxpayers' money into these pensions, and they're just going to make so much money. They they were sold a bill of goods that was really a pie in the sky or a, a bridge in Brooklyn, and so now we're 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 seeing the reality of it that the stock market doesn't just go all the way up and never crash or this or that. That bubble burst. And right now in the state of California, it is less than 70% funded on these, you know, uh, there's actually millions of these pensions. I mean, there's like 2.3 million government employees. Or whatever. There's, there's, there's a whole lot of these things. And, and, and the unfunded liability is, <laughs> is estimated depending on who you talk to but between three hundred billion and a trillion dollars in the state of California. Sure. So, so these are these are numbers that are just they're not. It's not a question of whether it's going to drag us down and make us go bankrupt as a state and every other agency inside of it. But it's it's a matter of when. It's not whether. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to go ahead and bring in labor. I'm trying to. Uh, I'm working on getting some of my colleagues. Uh, they, they they know what's happening, but it takes a lot of guts to go out there and and go up against mainly labor because labor is is got blinders on. They say no, no, no. You just want to take away our pensions. It's pension envy, blah blah blah. And I said no. I, I don't envy anybody for anything they did. But as <laughs> as the keeper of my my um, my taxpayers. <laughs> you know, safes and bank accounts, you're running them, you know, we're not going to have anything for the future. So, so what I'm doing is I'm, um, I'm really pushing that and seeing where we can get new hires to go to uh, sustainable and competitive 401ks and then start working on, 
whittling down this unfunded liability. But first, we have to stop the bleeding. And, and that's my main job right now. I'm doing it through getting a hold of legislators. Uh, we, we may very well, as a, a county, may be suing the state, uh, you know, this based upon uh, th- this was a fraudulent system to begin with. When the CalPERS in 1999, the newer, better ones, supposedly under uh, Governor Gray, when he came in, he they went around and they promised jurisdictions that it would get eight percent return. Uh, and uh, I have to I have to interrupt it, you because you've you've slandered sure. my name. It's not Governor Gray. It's Governor Gray Davis. I just want to. He's not my brother. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're, <laughs> yeah. I, that's my bad. And. Uh, <laughs> That's, in fact, is uh, you guys have no more in common than you do with great coupon mustard, right? <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've got to tell you, Jeff, that there were times when some bailiffs would look at me when I was, you know, just at the courthouse, and they would say, you see that man there? He's, he, he drives a bus for the jails for the county, and he's making $100,000 a year because of all the overtime. And then you look into sure. the pensions, and the pensions, let's say if you are in the Orange County Sheriff's Department, and I expect this is true all the way around the state, if you're, sure. when you're going to retire, you get 3% times however many years you worked. So, okay, you worked for 20 years, you will get 20, you'll get 60% of your last year's salary. Okay, I won't argue with that formula, but how do you compute the last year's salary? And the answer is it's a fraud on the taxpayers because your supervisor is in cahoots with you and he or she will give you all the overtime you can take and handle in that last year. That then is computed in your last year's salary. And you don't take any oh. vacation, so you sell it back. So that is included in your last year's salary. So it is artificially increased such that you're making huge amounts of money extra and over and above what it should be. It's all technically legal because if you're interested and you know this from the inside, who has the biggest vested interest in in electing someone to the board of supervisors? It's the public employees unions because you're the one that in effect make agreements and contracts with them and if they support you in your election and you don't support them once you're elected you're going to be voted out of office so it's incestuous nobody's protecting the taxpayer that's the way i see it and it's a damn fraud on the taxpayers and on us all to the degree that we have our political system in effect politicians don't care about the future. They just care about the next election. So they'll kick the can down the road, like you're saying, you know, oh, as long as it doesn't come vested on my watch, let somebody else worry about this, in, about the, the uh, uh, deficits and, and these extremely expensive unfunded pensions. So that's what we're facing. And, and it's you and I are going to be fine. You know, I'm older than you are, but, you know, I've got some investments. I have my pension. My children are in trouble, and my grandchildren, if I ever have any, are bankrupt because everyone in the in the, in the state of California who is about 20 years of age or, or less is bankrupt right this minute because of these pensions. Well, okay, so, Jim, there's something – there's one thing that you said there about me, and I'm going to get you back for my uh, – <laughs> for, for my – Governor Davis or Governor Gray thing. <laughs> um, what you just said is that you and I are going to be fine. If you understand who I am, I'm not going to be fine. I don't care if I found a pot of a million dollars sitting under a tree today or whatever, and it was just there for me and nobody gave it to me and it was just, 
that wouldn't make me happy. I'm not going to be fine. I'm not going to be fine until in, 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 in my last, in my last, you know, whatever years I have at 66 years old now, if I get another 20 years, hey, good for me. But I'm not going to be fine unless I make some real headway in solving these problems. And not only that, but inspiring and showing some younger uh, citizens who, who do embrace those same things that you and I do, Judge, that, you know, that we can do this. You see, to, to me, there's absolutely nothing that you could interest me with, with, with things or money or anything else. I am geared in right now to go ahead and show that, look, we don't have to do this. The way that I grew up as a kid with all the opportunity and, 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 and when, you know, hard work and a little bit of luck and doing things right really paid off, I want to bring that back because none of that's going to, there's not going to be any room for that because these unfunded liabilities are going to just overcome much like a tsunami and, and sweep everything away. And, and so for me, you know, the only way I'm going to be all right is getting out there and just going after it, going after it, going after it, and taking these people on, but doing it not, not, not like slash and kill and, and burn and everything. It's by persuading minds and bringing this out. A lot of times it's just a matter of somebody being out there. And, and I'm a, in a position right now to where my, my voice is louder. You know, I have that, that microphone at that diet. And, and I can say the things, and, and it will be in the newspapers and such. So I'm going to be doing that over these next uh, two, two and a half, three years as, as much as I possibly can. And, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll get some uh, momentum going on. Well, Supervisor Hewitt, on behalf of us all, thank you, because you're right. And, and huh, I'm in the language business, and I wasn't precise. I should have said financially fine, but certainly not fine otherwise. That. These are things that we need to address. So we're going to take a, a quick break here, and then we're going to come back and talk about the Libertarian Party. You know, what does it stand for? Because, in effect, what we've been discussing here, financial responsibility at all levels of society, accountability at all levels of society. Thomas Jefferson famously said that we need a, to have a bloody revolution every generation in order to keep the vested interests at bay. Fortunately, our Constitution keeps it from being bloody, but look at all of the vested interests that are, that are sucking the vitality out of our community as well as our youth. The libertarians, in my view, are the only party in the mainstream of American political thought. And I'm going to address one thing that you said, Supervisor Hewitt, we're not going to need to, to persuade anybody with regard to the pensions. All we need to do is educate them to what's going on here, and they will be persuaded right away. They'll persuade themselves. So we're going to take a short break and come down and really get into what it is that the Libertarian Party and Supervisor Jeff Hewitt are doing for us all after these words. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. 
the Libertarian Party, is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back. This is Judge Jim Gray with my esteemed guest, Supervisor Jeff Hewitt from the Riverside County in California. My wife, as I've said in the last few episodes, has asked me to uh, get a little bit silly on occasion in this show. So I'm going to ask you all a question. Supervisor Hewitt, maybe you'll know this one, maybe you won't. But uh, what do you call an animal that has a nose and nothing else? What Other than ugly, that's not fair. But what do you call an animal that has a nose and nothing else? And, of course, the answer is... Nobody knows. So with that one, I'll come back into uh, introducing with that forced chuckle from Supervisor Hewitt, but uh, why not? But I, I was a lifelong Republican, Jeff, until the passage of the so-called Patriot Act. And I've told this story numbers of times, but I could not con- be involved with any group that would condone, much less actively assist this direct frontal attack on our civil liberties. And it literally took me about 13 seconds to decide that I really am a libertarian, pretty much always have been, and I will be for life. But what is from the standpoint of Supervisor Jeff Hewitt, what is the Libertarian Party? What does it stand for? What segregates it, takes it away from uh, the the views of the other two large, older political parties? What is a Libertarian, Jeff Hewitt? Yes. Uh, okay. So, Judge, this this brings up a good a good question. What is a Libertarian? Is first of all, you have small L and you have large L Libertarians. And a lot of people know the word libertarian thinking. Well, there's someone that likes, you know, civil liberties. There's someone who, who has uh, an idea that government should be smaller and there should be more personal freedom. But let's talk about what really the big L libertarian is. And a big L libertarian is someone who not only puts down that L, you know, behind their name when they're running for office, but they also, um, you know, they're usually registered as a libertarian. They're very proud of, you know, being part of this party. This party's been around almost 50 years now, and it started with a, a small group of uh, men and women who got together, and they said, it was in the late 60s, and they said, you know, w- these other two parties keep going back and forth, and they're not really too much different. So let's come up with this set of values and principles that are based mostly on what our founding fathers had in mind, except 
instead of excluding people of color and women and non-property owners, this was for everyone, every individual on, on the face of the earth, which was, was pretty nice. And, and I was exposed to that in the early 70s when I went off to, uh, to college in San Diego State. And I believe it was in like 1972 or whatever, I, I did read something about a John Hospers, and it, it put what the platform was for the Libertarian Party. And I told myself, I said, gosh, this, this can't be true. This is too good to be true. Uh, there can't be a party like this. It makes too much sense. And I've been a Libertarian ever since. So I, I'm kind of, I wasn't there when we were making the party up, so I'm not an OG but I'd been around as long as you could vote for a libertarian for at least president or whatever. And, and, and I've, in that, in that, those decades, I've gone from being a typical big L libertarian who just wanted to get 5% and, you know, uh, persuade one of the two major parties to, to incorporate some of our, uh, ideas or solutions to where, um, I said, no, it ain't gonna, it ain't gonna happen that way. Um, screw it. We gotta go out and win. And, uh, and that's what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm telling libertarians everywhere, look it, we have the greatest set of values there is. We have a phenomenal product. We, and, 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 and let me subtract for a minute here. A lot of people say, well, you go to a libertarian event and there's a bunch of kooks there. Yeah, there's a bunch of kooks, but our kooks are, are, are kooks that are, um, they, they don't change their mind. They're consistent. They, they don't sell out for what's sexy at the time, or they don't follow some iconic huckster, like, you know, who we're talking about. Uh, th- these people are real, and they're genuine, and they know what they want out of life. And it is so uh, therapeutic every time I get together with other large-L libertarians that when I come back, I don't say, oh, you know, here's a bunch of kooks that want to uh, argue about everything. I said, here are the people that are going to save the human race. You know, these are the ones that have been in it for decades after decades. And, and to me, I'm just trying to say that last key that we need is we need patience. And patience is going ahead. And if you feel you have something to give, especially as an elected, then go out there and get involved in one of those local winnable races. Go out and find out. If you know how to govern, because those libertarian principles, don't worry about being pure enough or libertarian enough. If you're identified with that party for the right reasons anyway, I'm not worried about you changing over. But just get in there and start sowing that seed and, and, and make it blossom on that body. You know, whether it's five or seven or 11 people or whatever, you're going to make a big difference. And especially if you're patient and wait for your opportunities. And if we had dozens, if not hundreds, of these going on right now in the United States, we would be seeing all kinds of large L libertarians at the state legislative level and even on the uh, national level within 10 to 20 years. And, and this, is, this is how we win. You know, the Libertarian Party is the party that does not sell, it, sell, it, sell its principles to the highest bidder. Those principles are not for sale. And, and, and a libertarian is someone who comes up in one of these special interests, whether they be big labor, whether they be uh, big corporations who just want to have an inside track and get some cronyism going, you know, and they have the, uh, the leg up on their competition. No, no, we're not for sale. We're not for sale. And, and we want those corporations and small companies and everything to thrive, but we want the free market to determine the winners and the losers. 
and not. You know, Jeff, uh, the way I, I see it in so many different ways, and you're, and you're certainly uh, surrounding them, uh, the, the ultimate libertarian I can think of is Thomas Jefferson. And he said something yes. that uh, I just think it really captures what we are, that I don't care if you worship one god, 20 gods, or no god. It doesn't pick my pocket, and it doesn't break my leg. And I just live and let live. Uh, the other one would be, okay, don't tread on me. Well, libertarians would say, don't tread on anybody. That Let people alone. And, and we would follow the Constitution. We would not be involved whatsoever in all of these wars that we are sending our troops to all around the world, destabilizing the world. And a major thing is, and you're, ta you're talking about this right now, is libertarians do not benefit from government. You know, you have the Republicans and the Democrats, and they have their favorite pet causes and pet people to give money to, be it to pay farmers not to grow corn. Well, what does that do for the wheat farmers? What does that do for the soybeans? You know, we just select some to be winners and some to be losers if you're a Republican or a Democrat. Libertarians just do not do that. We don't benefit from government. We want to just live our own lives. And then I would go on to say that just if somebody were bleeding on the street right here, I have no legal obligation to help them unless I help cause their injuries. That would be different. But I will because I right. want to. We're compassionate people. They're not entitled to yeah. it. Maybe they'll even be appreciative, but we're compassionate people, but it's done voluntarily. So that that's kind of where I would say a libertarian would come in, and it's incorporated in the name of this show. All rise, okay, the libertarian way with those principles, with those approaches, but if we do that, we will all rise together, and no other political party can say that. Well, and and, and I think you brought up the fact, I, I think the, the libertarian terms or whatever, somebody called them brutalists and humanists. You know, you've got, we, we do have a large tent, believe it or not, and we have an ability to bring so many people in. Those brutalists are the ones that just say, hey, look, leave me alone. I, I don't want to help anybody. Don't mess with me. I've got my deal, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. But the vast majority of people are more humanist. And, 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 and when you get down to it, here's the dirty little secret. Most people are very generous. They're very, very charitable. And the difference between coming out and helping somebody out voluntarily through a charity, and it could be a faith-based charity, it could be a 5013C, it could be just you on the street helping somebody out. It doesn't matter. That, when you look at it, the, the, the endorphins that are released and everything, when you voluntarily help somebody, it, it's, it, it's a win-win on both sides. And, but when you've got some bureaucrat somewhere coming up with saying, okay, well, we need to take care of this problem. This person doesn't have as much as that person or this or that. And then they start taking your money away against your will and then redistributing it. And not only that, but to add insult to injury, they do it in such an inefficient way. You know, they'll, half the time, they'll spend $5,000 to get about $1,000 worth of entitlement or help to somebody that they think needs it. But it, it is just done so inefficiently, to be, so, it, so it makes it even worse. And so when course. you point out that difference between voluntary giving and just redistribution or collectivism, like what the government does, um, and, and, and talk to people in a, way, in a way, you go, a lot of times the people at the bottom of this uh, ladder, so to speak, benefit the most through charitable giving. And, and libertarians tend to be some of the most charitable people on earth. And I think we have a lot of empathy, empathy too. We just don't want to force our empathy on other people next to us and say, why don't you care about the same things I care about? Well, put it back into the supervisor's positions. 
it's my understanding, you know, we're all concerned about no about low-cost housing and about uh, the lack of housing in, around in our California and, and around the country. But it's my understanding that about 30% of the cost of building a house today is spent by trying to meet government regulations. So if you just reduce those regulations and the bureaucracy, the cost of housing would come down. And it's pretty much the same thing in any area that you're going to look at. So uh, what are you talking to me for, Jeff Schuett? Why don't you get back and reduce the cost of housing by all of the these government regulations, which I know, of course, you're doing. Okay, so so you bring up so so the biggest crisis facing California today are the unfunded liabilities on our pensions. That's that's the biggest thing. But but the the housing crisis I usually put is is number two or number three because what happens is it that has effects on everything. It has effects on the number of homeless. Believe it or not, I mean you've got people now that were you know that were families that were had two jobs that they're down in an area that is just so expensive to live that they can no longer even afford to rent a small apartment. So they're living out of their car. What happens is, is the number, you know, it's, it's supply and demand, supply and demand. And when that supply is so much less than demand, you know, uh, housing prices go up as far as when, when housing prices go up, rents go up, and it just goes up and up and up. And a lot of that is driven by all the diff developer impact fees and other such fees that are put on by any agency, whether it be a municipality or the county. And then um, what happens, too, is you've got, okay, so it's kind of a two-edged sword. You've got all those, but you've also got the inherent psychology of every individual. And I know you've heard the term NIMBY, not in my backyard. A NIMBY is any group, you know, NIMBYs are groups of people that say don't put that development here or don't put that warehouse here or whatever else because we have too many cars on our highways and we don't want all the dirt and the noise and we love this, you know, uh, nice rural setting. And, of course, all of them are very hypocritical because when they got their little house and their development, there were NIMBYs that didn't want them to come in too. So it, as, a, uh, as an elected, it's my job to be, you know, honest with people and say, look, where are your kids going to live? Where are your grandkids going to live? This is not right. People that have property have property rights. And if they can go ahead and mitigate some of those impacts to some degree, and believe me, the government tries to squeeze everything out of all these new developers, it is becoming more and more difficult for a developer to come in and build new houses in California. So um, I'm working on trying to you know, uh, lower a lot of those impediments. Uh, but we also have, we got to watch out because big labor right now is trying to make it so that there'll be project labor agreements on any, uh, development of houses over like 40 or 50 units where everything has to be done with prevailing wages, which you, you add another 30% to the cost right there. Sure. I mean, this is just, it's, it's insanity right now. So, um, but, but, but they're always going to be more expensive in California than they are in Arkansas. For obvious reasons, we have a wonderful, wonderful climate, you know, and um, I, I'd expect things to be more expensive in California, but not to the degree that they are now. It, it's well, absolutely crazy. Let's do a favor of something interesting for our audience here. And I, I suggest to you privately, go to the website isidewith.com, www.the letter I, 
S-I-D-E-W-I-T-H dot com. I side with dot com and take their, their political test. It's short, it's private, and it's rather sophisticated as well. And see where you sit as to being a liberal, a conservative, libertarian, Democrat, Republican, whatever. Uh, and you will be amazed, I think, at how libertarian your values are. And we have done that before with numbers of people. But uh, just give it a try. And you can share it if you want to, but it's going to be private with you. And also, when you're thinking of that, think of Thomas Sowell, who was a wonderful economist, uh, retired recently in his 80s. But he said that the first law of economics is scarcity. There's never enough goods and services to go around with the demand. And the first rule of politics is to ignore the first rule of economics. Libertarians are realistic. Libertarians see it the way it is. We're not trying to profit to help our cronies, our friends. We're just trying to make a level playing field for everybody. To the degree that they were all talking, Jeff, and you you saw this phenomenon. Amazon was going to put in another headquarters. and Everybody was vying to have them put their headquarters in their state or their city. They were giving them these tax right. breaks and those benefits and all this other stuff. And I agreed with all of them. Boy, that's a great idea. Give them these tax benefits. Give them those, those, those benefits. But by the way, give it to all companies. Don't just choose one, right. but reduce them and give it. If it's good for Amazon, it would be good for all. So that is the libertarian approach. That, that we really get into. So we don't build up government. We would, in effect, and Jeff, Supervisor Hewitt is talking about this, you know, privatize these things. Have government overseeing contracts. If you want to maintain your roads, if you want to build a highway, if you want to uh, build a water system, whatever, don't... I don't think that the state of California should own any dump trucks. You know, we have something called Caltrans, which is an army of bulldozers and dump trucks and the rest. No, they should be privatized and let then the private companies pay their employees. And if we have more work, then we can provide more contracts. If we have less work, we can have less, fewer contracts. But we would privatize these things instead of going to the vested interests of government. Privatization does it better. To the degree that, now I'm rambling a little bit, but I'm getting enthusiastic, Jeff, uh, you mentioned that with regard to charities, they do the job better. And the answer is yes. And when I talk about that, I think, uh, think mosquito nets. People look at me like, okay, what's he talking about now? But you can see, of course, in many countries in Africa, they still have a malaria problem. And it's documented sure. that for every 10 mosquito nets you get on the ground covering people's beds at night, that you're going to save a life or you're going to keep at least one out of 10 people from getting malaria. And it's the same mosquito nets, but the government, it costs about $12.40 per mosquito net to get it on the ground. And charitable organizations, it costs about $3.64. So, you know, it's just the same mosquito net done much, much better. And it would be the same thing with regard to other goods and services in our states, in our cities. Have I convinced you, well, Supervisor Hewitt? Well, yeah, and, and, and that, that goes along with, with another um, great, great idea about the difference between private and public. You know, uh, Henry Ford talked about the invisible hand of competition. In other words, he was asked why he paid his workers $5 a day when that was way more than anybody else got. And he said, it's the invisible hand of competition because I know that if I don't pay them this much, they're all going to go to these other uh, companies that are raising up to compete with me, you know. And I've already trained them all, and I don't want to lose them to that. Well, 
there is not an invisible hand of competition in government. Government has no competition. And the only criteria is that, you know, they say, okay, we're going to do this. Now let's set up an HR. Let's go do this. We got to pay everybody, you know, prevailing wages. We got to go out. And, and, and when, at the end of the day, if it were a private company, every government would be bankrupt within six months. Every, everyone. But, you know, having my own business for, you know, 40 years, if, if, if I wasn't making money, I'd cut the crew. I would do this. I would find some way to be more efficient because my competition didn't care about me. They didn't say, oh, Jeff, I'm sorry, man. Let's raise prices. I didn't know that you were having a tough time. They don't do that. The, the, the market dictates that the strong will survive and, 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 uh, and thrive, and the weak will go ahead and get better at it or go find something else to do. And, and, and in government, you don't have that. And, and the problem is, is that the vast majority of people that work in government that are, we call bureaucrats are really great people. They're, they're just like you and I, Jeff. I mean, they're, they're phenomenal people. They got, you know, they go to church, they have their, um, families get together. You know, a lot of times they'll pull over, help somebody. They're, they're, they're great people. But what happens is they're put into a culture where they don't see sunshine very often. They really don't. And, and you start thinking that the whole world works that way. And, and that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to change the culture in a huge, huge uh, bureaucratic infrastructure and, and to say, look, it, you know, there's things better than just pay and compensation. For instance, right now, the average public employee in California in total compensation makes more than double the average of the private worker. And, and I mean, that's so upside down when you have a servant and a master. I mean, if I told you that, who's the servant in that case? Of course, the servant is the, uh, the private citizen and the master is the public. And it's not supposed to be that way. You know, we're supposed to be public. So, so it's important to change that culture to where the things that we are going to have government do People feel, you know, they're in it for the right reasons. They're actually helping out doing some things. For instance, child protective services. That's a, that's a ridiculously tough job. It's a ridiculously tough job. I mean, there are a lot of families with horrible, horrible, um, you know, homes, a, a lot of drug abuse, a whole lot of other things going on, you know, incest, everything else. And, 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 and society dictates that, you know, you have these filled, uh, workers or whatever come out and check things out, but every time something goes wrong, then they're 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 just given like, oh, you 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 missed that one. That person was killed by the terrible parents or whatever else. But there are thousands of those just in Riverside County that are going out there and doing a great job most of the time. But see, they never get a pat on the back. They never, you know, there's not a culture of, hey, wow, you did a really good job. So why is somebody going to stick around? When if they work their tail off trying to do the right thing, they're, they're, they're never uh, rewarded for it with, with uh, a little bit of, hey, add a boy or add a girl. And, and those things are more important in somebody's uh, employment, believe it or not, than how much money they get or what kind of uh, you know, retirement, believe it or not. And, and those are the things that, see, libertarians, we can aspire to higher things because we know that when we implement these principles, higher things come automatically. They do. That's human nature. So, you know, for, for me, it's, 
Yeah, it's it's anything, almost anything can be done, usually better privately. But in that transition from going to where we have huge government now to whittle it down to where it's at least uh, pleasantly plump instead of obese, and then we come down to pretty soon we have a lean, mean government that protects our freedom instead of taking it away from us. And, and that's what we're going to see in the future. Jeff, Jeff, what you say is just critically important. And, and a lot of libertarians are labeled with, oh, we don't want any government. And that's simply not true. You know, we do need some government and we do need governmental decisions made. And, and a big example I use is that people frown on private prisons. No, private prisons do it well. It's safer, they're, they're better humane conditions, but you do not have anyone in the private sector deciding who comes to which prison, how long they stay there. That's a function of, of, of government. That's, that's what the government does. So that it's has this, to be totally objective and third party. I agree. I exactly agree. right. So, so you keep that as a function of government. It's the same thing with family protective services. It's the same thing with the court system in a lot of ways. So we need government, but a lot less intrusive, expensive, domineering government, because really the, the public sector now is the privileged class in so many ways in our society. So one way we can do that as libertarians is to employ sunset laws. You know, to, okay, you're going to have this program, fine, but after a certain number of years, five years, seven years, it will expire unless it is reinstituted by by uh, revoted in by the legislature or by your your board of supervisors. Right. You have you don't have these things go on forever. We have programs today that were set up by the New Deal for heaven's sake and they're still going. Uh, maybe it's time oh. to move them. So so these are the things that we're talking about as libertarians. We're not radicals. We're realists. We're practicalists. We want the best for everybody instead of just our various people. So go to isidewith.com and actually if you're interested, I've sent out for the last three years something I call Two Paragraphs for Liberty. You can find me on my through my website at judgejimgray.com. Communicate with me, and if you're interested in receiving these pretty much every Monday, uh, we just cite what the private sector would do, liberty would do on the one hand, as opposed to the bureaucracy on the other, and guess which side usually comes out first. So, Jeff Hewitt, you're doing God's work. You are a mainstay in our party and in the state of California and certainly in your district. So you've been exciting. You've been, in effect, don't say the word can't because you're doing it. And and thank you for that. Uh, and, and certainly continue on. And if there's ever anything I can do to help you, please let me know. Hey, thanks a lot so much, Judge. And um, and, and we look forward to every, every time I talk to you, it's, it's, it's always... It's great for me. It's it's therapeutic for me too. So um, I, I I just want to I want to remind you of one thing too is that I'm out to do to, to prove two things. Not only that libertarians can win, but when they do win, really good things happen. And yes. I think once that gets out there, once uh, you know media gets hold of it, everything else, um, I think we're going to see a huge huge uh, tidal shift. And, and you're going to see people starting. Because remember, it's all about winning. It really is. And, and once you win, then you get a chance to incorporate your ideas. Yes. And those ideas, you and I know they've happened in the past. Uh, they will happen again if we just get the reins of power to be able to implement them. And then people see where, where hard work and, and keeping, you know, uh, keeping to your own business, but helping people out when they want it and stuff. All those things that are really great attributes to, to our species, then we can go ahead and thrive to the greatest things we've ever seen. 
So. Indeed so, and with that integrity. So there you have it. And thank you, Jeff Hewitt, our, our Board of Supervisors. In so many ways, we all know life is complicated, but it really can be made more straightforward and understandable and productive if you just employ those libertarian approaches that we've been talking about for the last hour with Supervisor Hewitt and the libertarian approaches. In the meantime, tune in again next week, uh, Friday morning at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific. Uh, go to isidewith.com and see where your political events are and uh, talk about these issues. Talk about them. It's important. In fact, for us, for our children, for our grandchildren, it's who we are. Liberty is critically important, and so is economics and, and stability. So keep all those things in mind. Uh, consider libertarians and consider yourselves in, in that reign. So if we do that, I'm convinced we will all rise together. So thank you for tuning in. Talk to you next week. And in the meantime, life is good. Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way.